Welcome back to At The Buzzer, a Ralph Report podcast for Colorado Athletics, news, notes, and everything in between. I am uh, Jack, one of the co-hosts. Over there is Sam, the better one of the co-hosts. And I thought I would That's go by the book. Lie. I thought I would go with a by the book introduction. Just a nice, normal one. Okay. Uh, just, to, just to ease back in. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, we don't have any guests, so that kind of makes it easy. No uh, it's just the same old crew. Yep. Some nice schedule. We can talk about recaps, some look aheads for basketball. We're back in, in our saddle, I guess the original saddle that, that forced the show, which is just talking about basketball um, with football stuff thrown in between. Yeah. Not very exciting. Uh, we, we could begin with some football news though. Well, that's where I mean, the news is, I guess right now. Housekeeping. I mean, yeah. Basketball's chugging along, but football's making the headlines. So let's, yeah, let's start with the housekeeping, um, and we're going to see a lot of this from every other school in the country, but I guess this is the week that, that CU had the transfer exodus. I, I think that means that Carl's meeting with the team this week. So wh- wh- why don't we rattle off those names? Do you have those? Okay, I can start. Oh, no, I, I have them. <laughs> I was just waiting for you. Uh, so the first one really was Katie Nixon leaving as a graduate transfer. Mm-hmm. So obviously senior receiver, we've seen him play heavily three years, highly recruited out of DeSoto, mm-hmm. turned out to be quite overshadowed by LaVisca, had a few good games, but was pretty inconsistent overall throughout his CU career. Um, so he leaves us seven touchdowns, right? I don't know the exact stats, yes, but yeah, that, that sounds about right. seven touchdowns after over three years. I remember four of those exactly. Um, mm-hmm. One of them was obviously super important. I, I guess I don't want to gloss over too much because I think he'll always be remembered for one of the greatest touchdowns in Folsom Field history, that 96-yard yeah, food flicker against Nebraska. That'll be the KD legacy. Yeah, it's unfortunate. His other game, I don't know. I, I guess let me quiz you before I go into it. Do you remember his three-touchdown game, his, his, his big one? Against Oregon State? Against Oregon State at home. Yeah, right un- before the collapse. Yeah, that was the 2018 Oregon State. Well, I, you say right before the collapse. It's unfortunate. Katie Nixon's best game as a buff was the game that Mike McIntyre was dead man walking. That was the the 20, what was it, 28 lead, point lead collapse? I think in the so. second half, 24 point lead. Um, and it's unfortunate that that is what overshadowed it. But I, I think he was always, and by all accounts, really good teammate, really good leader. Um, close with McKinley Wright as well on the basketball team. And yeah. a person to have on campus for four years, I think he has to go get his nut, and I'm, I'm totally fine with, with moving on for that. Yeah, I think this is a win-win because CU was kind of uh, pivoting to their young receivers anyway. They were using two uh, like second-year players and one true freshman the whole season, really, not really using KD very much. And so now they get to fully move on to their younger guys while while KD hopefully gets to go to a good offense where he can be a veteran presence. Yeah, and he, he obviously – I think he has a lot to offer other teams in terms of just t- total athletic package. I don't know if he ever got to show that off in CU system as much as I would want him to. And like you said, it's a crowded room. Brendan Rice is coming up, Levante Chenault. Dimitri Stanley is the obvious go-getter right now. Plus, you have Maurice Bell in there and uh, a new crop of wide receivers that is also going to push for time. So, 
good time to move on. I think KD made the right decision. Yeah, and then so after that, we had Darian Rakestraw. He's moving on as a graduate transfer, so he played safety the past couple of years. Uh, I think it's like this one's an okay deal going on. He wasn't that good, but he was a starter, and we also have like what two safeties on the roster, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and one of them was Isaiah, Isaiah Lewis, who was barely on the roster last year. So yeah, it's it's thin back there. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on Rickstraw before we move on? Well, I'll let you finish before I go into the exact why. Um, but I thought he did a great job servicing what was a pretty barren safety backfield. Um, and I think he was a Pac-12 player. I don't think he ever won games for CU. And I also don't think he was the reason that CU lost any games. So um, I think at a place like University of Colorado, that's super valuable because, you know, we obviously have not won a lot of Pac-12 games. So being someone who won't lose you Pac-12 games is, is a pretty big win above replacement type player. Um, but hopefully in this new era of, of a nice floor of talent, that's that's not a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last transfer, as far as I know so far, is Jaron Mangum, the running back, who had an incredible freshman spring game. And every CU fan was so hyped about him. And then he was never very good. I think he averaged fewer than two yards per carry. He goes past carry. that. He goes past that. His debut, his debut game was at 2018 LaVisca Chenault show okay, against yeah. CSU where he scored two touchdowns. He scored two touchdowns in the week after against Nebraska that same year. So he was pretty mm-hmm. hyped coming in. And he was also a four-star running back. Darian Hagan pulled him out of Michigan, which is pretty big. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, he's a gigantic dude who can run pretty fast. There's a lot of hype around him, but like you said, it just never, he never gelled with that, that system. Yeah. Um, this means Marvin ham is the only player left from the ham championship of 2019. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I mean, <laughs> I think the completed his eligibility and just aged out, but yeah, Marvin ham now has to carry the, the banner. I'm trying to think if there's anyone in this recruiting class. <laughs> <laughs> who has a deli meat last name and I'm not getting it right away. Um, there's a, there's someone a player from Hamburg, Germany. Yashka Guska. Yashka Guska. Oh, is he? Nice. Yeah. And Valentin Sen is from Austria, but that's not close. Anyways, um <laughs> Mangum also similar to Rick, or not make sure, similar to Nixon. It's just a crowded running back room, man. I mean Broussard. Obviously, he's going to be the ringleader moving forward. Alex Vontano, who started the year before, is coming off of injury. Deion Smith, who's a, by all accounts, has been really exciting coming off of injury. You have Josh Davis still there. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of talent in that backfield. And Manga might want a, a place where it's easier to get a lot of carries. Because I also feel like he's the type of guy who gets better in the game as, as defenses get tired of tackling him. Yeah, I think he's going to be... Really good wherever he goes up. Okay. It reminds me of like Patrick Carr putting up numbers when he transferred to Houston. Uh, obviously, I think he's better than Patrick Carr, but it's what? just like... Why are you disrespecting Patrick Carr? Oh, okay. I love Patrick I Carr. He was that, that was also like the first real win of Troy Walter's recruiting era. And I'm always bringing it back to recruiting because it's, it's my favorite part. But also, remember that UCLA game, 2015? I don't. Oh, my God. Sefo <laughs> Lufau, 
uh, uh, we were wearing like white, gray, white. And, and there was that awesome fun stat. We were still on it near the end, but that fun stat where UCLA had scored 21 points off of CU red zone trips because of how many uh, interceptions Sefer Lufout threw in the red zone. Do you remember that? Oh my God. No, I don't remember that. I think I explicitly turned it off. Yeah. And we were still in it near the end because Patrick Carr was getting like 35 carries. He had like 150 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and so you just kept coming back at him. And then it was just like, you just, it, you couldn't turn it over that much. Anyways, uh, Carr and Mangum, hopefully will both thrive outside of Boulder. Yeah. Um, any, any other transfers I missed? Um, no, there's been, I mean, Jason Harris officially left to Arizona. We knew that Jason Harris had left, but we didn't know where it makes sense. Arizona is where his dad played. His mom graduated from there. His brother's playing there now. And it appears that Jed fish has in against my odds, ejected a lot of energy into that program. So, um, we're going to see him. We're going to be playing against Harris moving forward, which is unfortunate because he has quite a bit of talent, but it's nice to see that he ended up somewhere that he will play. Yeah. Um, moving on to defense coordinator. Yeah. Well, so this is what I was going to say. I think Rake Straw and uh, it, it came up from a lot of other player reactions on Twitter was close with Tyson Summers um, as, as were plenty of other staff members or staff members. Wow. Secondary members. I think the when Tyson Summers was fired, there's the news, it, it shook up a lot of those players, which is part of why Rick Shaw also felt comfortable leaving. So mm. that's that's the big news, I think, is, is Tyson Summers is is out. <laughs> I well, Summers was that. also – yeah, he was also the safeties coach. For for his first year, and then he moved to linebackers, oh, yes. middle linebackers this year. Yeah, um, all right. But, yeah, I mean, he, he built connections. He was a Georgia kid, just like Ray Straw, which is why I wanted to bring that up. Summers obviously deepened the Georgia connections and followed Mel Tucker from Georgia. So I uh, I was not expecting this. I don't I don't know if many people were, but Tyson Summers is out as, as Colorado's defensive coordinator. See, I thought that this move would have happened last year because mm-hmm. Mel Tucker was gone. Summers, it was hard to tell if that was Mel Tucker's defense or if it was Summer's defense because he was a first-time defensive coordinator. No, 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 he wasn't. But, um, yeah, I didn't know if he would stick around after he left. And so I guess I wasn't caught by surprise too much because, remember, like, uh, Durrell was kind of just trying to keep the pieces that he was left behind and then Mm -hmm. fill whatever vacancies he could fill. Mm-hmm. And now that he actually has time to round out his staff, it makes a little bit of sense to move on from those he didn't want to keep around. I, I think in hindsight, that's exact. You're exactly correct. Um, he came in way too late to obviously do anything past hire the vacancies that were already there. And I think he did a good job hiring for those vacancies. We know mm-hmm. that Jimmy Brumbaugh left for Tennessee. We filled that with arguably a better coach and Chris Wilson. We know that Chris Kapilovich left for Michigan State. We filled that with the guy that everyone panned, including me and Rich Rodriguez, who was an athletic director at a Texas high school. Turned out that Rodriguez actually knows what he's doing too. Um, so that's a weird connection. But that one is also uh, – we can talk about that a little more later. Anyways, I mean, Darrell hired people he had to replace. And then, like you said, I think he was just trying to – he came in so late, he was just trying to continue what was there while also knowing making moves in the future. Um, and while I don't necessarily agree that Summers is the place that I would start, I'm not there every day. And also the, I think it's, it's speaking again to just like the, 
<laughs> I've been there before and I know how to do stuff that Darrell has um, exhibited that CU hasn't seen since Gary Barnett, right? Mm-hmm. Like he spent a year, presumably like working with Summers and also making sure that he had all his ducks in a row, studying people who he wanted to replace. And I'm assuming he has a replacement either lined up or he's talking to, I don't know. But I think it's just so smart to be like, look, we'll work with what we got. I, we'll, we'll take whatever's here. I don't want to ruin the momentum that's here. And then when I want to make this my program, I'll wait, you know, until the time is right in the next off season. And I've fully installed my culture and people have bought in already. Because I think it's yeah. a lot easier to sell to the players. Hey, this is a guy you knew before. I'm going to make a change. But look, we just won four. We just had a winning season and we went to the Alamo Bowl. I know what I'm doing, right? Yeah, I think it's good to build goodwill before making changes like that. Um, Especially when it I'm curious. So late. Yeah, I'm really curious who they're going to hire now. I have no idea. I don't follow. I don't know anything yeah. through the grapevine. Well, this is my crack. So I love uh, coaching searches and everything that comes with it. It's not the same when it's not a um, head coach because there's not nearly as much clues to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm just constantly on Twitter looking at any connections I can try to find, however small they are. And so far, there's not that much. Um, so in terms of potential candidates, the there's a few rumors floating around. Brian Howell had a great article out on Buff, Buff Zone. Did you read that one, Sam? I did not. Well, he mentioned, and this is the one that everyone's been mentioning, Chris Wilson might be elevated from his defensive line position mm-hmm. to defensive coordinator, um, partially to keep the buzzers at Miami off of him, and partially because he did a great job at Mississippi State when he was a defensive coordinator there. And he called plays for at least one of those years of the three that he was D.C. Um, def- I wouldn't Miami, Well, I would, I think, and I, I guess – Miami already filled the defensive line coach, so it's not like we need to elevate him to keep him there. And the other thing is, I don't like being the power five that has to elevate a position coach to a coordinator position to keep another power five team from taking him, right? I think that's kind of small time, and I don't think that screams – I don't know. I, if CU's going to fire a, a defensive coordinator, which by all accounts was liked by the players and also had some really good games, he called some really good games. His scoring average isn't great, but he did a good job, I think, when he had to. Mm-hmm. I think they need to have someone who's obviously a better replacement level coach. And Wilson's track record may say that, but also it's like you already have him at DL coach. I don't think elevating him to fire to replace the DC that you just paid to fire, right? You just paid five hundred thousand dollars to get this guy out of here. Is is that splash higher? So I, I'm looking for now because we have no candidates to go off of and I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> I'm looking for a bigger hire. Than, than elevating the de- the defensive line coach. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that if you if you fire Summers in that case, you kind of have to have a bigger name coming in. Like I, I agree with that. Yeah. So of the names that Brian Howell put out, and I won't reveal all of them. You should please read this article because Brian Howell continues to do great work covering the team. The one that I'm most excited for is Gerald Alexander. If you know that name, Mm-mm. I don't know anything. So Gerald Alexander actually coaches at the Dolphins now. He didn't overlap timing wise with Darrell when Darrell's at the Dolphins before CU hired him um which is interesting but they know I'm assuming that helps vet because obviously Darrell knows a lot of the staff in place there um Darrell Alexander made his bones as a deep defensive backs coach at Cal so under defensive head coach Justin Wilcox out there if you remember that three-year time stretch 2017 to 2019 I think CU only played Cal 
once, maybe twice. Yeah, but they had just like ridiculous they had, DBs. Yeah, exactly. Every single defensive back was drafted or draftable. Um, and that was largely under Jared Alex- Gerald Alexander, who's still really young. I think he's 36 this year. Um, and he is just like, he, he just did great work with those kids. So he's from California, obviously coached at Cal defensive backs. And now he's at Miami Dolphins defensive backs. I think his resume is good enough for me to like, in terms of overall, not just that bullet point is good enough for me to take a chance on him. He played, uh, he played at Boise state. So he's from the West got picked second round played in the NFL for five or so years, you know, worked at Washington as a grad assistant. Then he worked at Montana state's defensive backs coach. Cal hired him, did amazing work at Cal. Uh, and then now he's in the NFL um, in the same capacity. I think he would do a great job recruiting. I think he's young enough to have a lot of fire recruiting. And I think, um, he has connections in California, which CU desperately needs to pick up their recruiting slack in. Yeah, no, I like that. I'm reading I'm reading about him right now. I found Brian's article. It's pretty good. Yeah, so that's the one you that excited me, on me that. of his name. Um, there's a few other names, and I'm sure people would want a little more experience there, especially because Darrell's an offensive coach. So I think they want someone who could be a CEO of the defensive side. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is uh, Darrell's last DC at UCLA is I think his name is Dwayne Walker. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And he uh, just got hired by Jed fish at Arizona to coach defensive backs. Um, so he might be an option to elevate immediately back to DC, which would be not, I would not mind it, but it'd also be like, yeah, really that's the best we could do. So I don't also know. it'd be pretty, it'd be on the dirty side in the, in the CU oh. Arizona rivalry. Who cares? Which would be funny as hell. Yeah. To I, elevate. Yeah. <laughs> we also stole Demetrius Martin from them last year. So they yeah. don't like it. Well, good for them. We don't like them. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Gerald Alexander is a really fun name. Um, and I, I guess, do you have any pie in the sky candidates, Sam? No, money's no option. Me? Any, yeah. Any, anyone that you are thinking of? If not, I can, I'm stalling for time as I go through my list. I mean, I don't really know any defensive coordinator candidates, much less any defensive coordinators in college football, really. I only know the big ones. Okay, well. Like, I didn't even know Mel Tucker until he was rumored to go to CU. I don't follow college football that much. Nationally, as, at least. Yeah, you, as you and all our listeners know by now. <laughs> yeah, you are. It's fine. You are a stand-in for, uh, for the average fan. Um, yeah. I would hire Tony Romo as my defensive coordinator. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, uh, names from your past are available. I believe Chappelle Brown is the defensive packs coach at, at Boise. No, he's at UC Davis with uh, Dan Hawkins and new offensive coordinator Cody Hawkins. Didn't Troy Walters just got just get uh, promoted? Troy Walters? He was Wait, fired. Wait, what, what am I talking? Ryan Walters, my bad. Yes. I was thinking – well, not promoted. He went to he was defensive coordinator in Missouri, and now he went to um, Illinois. Um, but he also wouldn't excite me that much. I think that is a keep it in the family hire. He's obviously exciting. I think he's a good recruiter, but his defenses have not been noticeably better than Summers, and in fact, have been worse. I would say so. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm not too worried. I I don't. I would not like that that much. 
Um, Jaleel Brown, I think, is on the new board state staff. What? Hold on. Let That's me crazy. Check. Let me see if I got that right. Uh, yeah, he's the cornerbacks coach at Boise, so that's a that's a name to keep an what? eye on. Yeah, that's weird. It's not necessarily be really for weird DC, this. but that'd be a fun cornerbacks coach in the near future. Um, and I guess the last coaching news I want to talk about is USC is hiring an offensive line coach. Um, and there have been rumors flying around on their side, and I'm sorry, I'm laughing already, but uh, <laughs> that Clayton Adams is a candidate for the vacancy. <laughs> Oh my God! Former coach, Arizona State, an offensive line coach. Arizona State's also looking at him, I think. Yeah. Well, hey, he was a co-OC in the oh Pac-12. God. He was an assistant offensive line coach, one of the best offensive lines in the country, in Indianapolis Colts. They should take that chance. Wait, he was the Colts O line coach? No, he was a coach assistant to the offensive line. Coach, oh, I was going to say, like, damn, he coach. should not have gotten that job. Uh, he did not. His basically, his mentor got the job. His mentor at Boise State got the job, and he was he was looking out for his mentee. So, mm. um, maybe he's gotten better. Okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I I would love for USC to take that chance to find out, man. <laughs> um, so that's it. I, I we don't know too much. The other big news, I guess, is Drew Wilson was let go as a strength coach which I had absolutely nothing but praise for Drew Wilson. So I'll be interested to see how Darrell manages there. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what a strength coach, what, what, how players look strong, whether or not they are or aren't strong. I don't know. Really? I mean, I mean I look, Drew Wilson did a great job compared Jaylen to Jalen Sami's very strong. Yeah. And Drew and, and not Drew, what was his name? Foreman before uh, who was under McIntyre was cross-training and keeping the offensive line purposely under 300 pounds. And Drew Wilson did a good job undoing that. Um, but I think, Sam, it was obvious watching Texas, seeing what a big guy versus a small guy do. Does, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Texas is uh, noticeably bigger. Part of that's because they have way bigger blocks of clay to mold. Um, so we'll see what Darrell – I think Darrell was just – he mentioned it like he doesn't want CU to look like that against a team like Texas again. So I think hopefully he, another, another thing where he has a guy in mind that uh, from the pro ranks maybe, or someone he trusts. And I, you know, I don't know anything about the ins and outs of strength coaching, but players love drew Wilson. He was there through three staffs. So it's going to be hard to rebuild that trust. Yeah, that is, that is kind of a big deal. Well, the only thing we can confirm is that Darian Hagan's going to stick around. <laughs> Forever and always. I mean, why would he be Boulder? He's, he's the mayor here. Yeah, he's a legend. So, also, amazing coach. Go ahead. So, uh, I, I don't know. It's, we're seeing Darrell remake the program more in his image. Um, and like I said, I'm just so interested. It's the first time – correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay. Right? Dan Hawkins, first-time Power 5 head coach. Um, John Embry, first-time Power 5 head coach. Mike McIntyre, first-time Power 5 head coach. Mel Tucker, first-time Power 5 head coach. The only one, and it depends on how you count Northwestern, I guess, in the 90s. I would assume they count as a Power 5, even though they were completely awful. The only one sent, uh, since Gary Barnett that was experienced in the Power 5 is Carl Durrell. And it's just... I don't know how to describe it other than like I'm shocked continually by him just being doing stuff that kind of makes sense all the time, right? 
-hmm. like yeah he's a little conservative in the play calling and the like you know going for fourth or kicking a field goal or punting like but overall i feel like the program is just consistently um competent in in ways that we haven't seen in some time like he just knows some stuff about everything about like here's what i would do here and i'm excited to see what his staff looks like moving forward as he gets people that hopefully also share that yeah yeah i agree with that so i don't know i it, it's he's done nothing but make me more excited about his tenure which i was lukewarm to begin with so i'm glad that he's continually making more excited and hopefully dc's higher uh continues that yeah let's move on to basketball though i'm getting bored (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah let's move on to your not yet ranked colorado buffaloes not yet so what's their record again 10 and 3 and 4 and 2 in conference play and one of those losses those three losses they had to be the mediocre teams right if they're not ranked what those three losses, right? If they are, if CU isn't ranked yet, those losses have to beat a pretty bad teams to to drop a ten and three Power Five team out of the rankings. Uh, I don't know if you're trolling or not, but <laughs> yes, I'm trolling. <laughs> okay, yeah, a lot of people. I guess CU is being perpetually considered an underrated team, even though we are in the top ten, like all of or top twenty five, all of last season, basically, and a lock for the NCAA tournament. Uh, really good teams the year before. Same exact players the whole time. I don't know why. <laughs> this is not an under-the-radar team. I know. This is a good yeah. team. So, yeah, what to guess what I was saying is the three losses are number one, all on the road, and number two, all the teams that are in and around the top 25 this year, including yeah. going to be in and around the top five this year. Yeah, the, the loss at Tennessee is, like, that's just, like, a blank on the resume if anything it looks fine that i was, was about to say if anything the fact that that single digits might be a positive as the as the year goes on like that might be a good thing to see you only lost by single digits which is crazy yeah the game at arizona we can all talk about like arizona they're they're always going to be mercurial and that was the best game they'll play all season well you say that Easily. but they also yeah. just blew the doors off of wazoo last night or oregon state last night but anyways oregon arizona's state. a good team no, I mean, like, we're, we're better than Oregon State. But. Right. I'm just, okay. Well, we also, yes. <sighs> Anyways, this this week. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was week. a road game. 34-point win on the road. Yeah. Yeah, if, if Arizona hits their shots, which is not always going right. to happen, they can just beat the shit out of anybody. <laughs> yeah, they have talent, unfortunately, still. <laughs> um, but this week, CU proved once again that they are also a, a good to great team. Yeah, um, so their game at Utah Tough sucked. Place. That was a horrible game. I hated watching that. It was ugly as shit, and neither team really deserved a win. It was just that Utah <laughs> Utah was so, so bad in the second half that I think CU kind of won just by default. And I know you're going to have to give credit for CU for like their 15-0 run to open the second half. You have to give them credit for locking down their defense. But it was like... UCLA or Utah, I think they shot like one of 10 on three pointers and like 0 for 7 on free throws in the second half. It was crazy. Okay. Yeah. You say you have to give credit to see you for the 15 0 run. I also have to give credit, I think, time and again. And they got into a, 
I, I got into a tizzy afterwards because I saw a lot of CU fans upset with the play, which you should have been. Um, but like Tad Boyle built this program to be able to win ugly, right? I feel yeah. like that's like his whole thing is when shots aren't falling, when you can't get the offense that you want, you need to fall back on two things, defense and rebound to win you, to win you the game. And that's exact. This These games are why he does that. Um, yeah. I see you no, shot 35%, right? They shot 29% from three, 35% from the field. Uh, their free throws were a terrible pedestrian 75% as opposed to their normal 85%. And you walk away with the win. And that's really hard to do on the road against a pretty good power five team. And that's a testament to this year's team and Tab Boyle's tendons of the program. Yeah, we, we can, it's it, the team is a high floor. Like it always will have a high floor of we're going to hold the other team under 70 and if we can scratch and claw and just eke out a win because we have the best player on the floor every time we take the court, that, that's a that's a pretty good path to getting 20 wins every season, as we've seen. Uh, yeah, that Utah game is is ugly when it happens, beautiful when it's over. So I, that's that's basically how I thought about it. We see you hadn't won at Utah since 2012, which obviously was a pretty big year for, for CU. Um, and getting that monkey off the back was great. Beating a, a full-strength Utah team was great. I believe they had no one out. NC was missing Dallas Walden and Keyshawn Bartholomew went down with an injury there. Um, and surviving a rare off game from McKinley Wright is great. He was fine, but they also did a lot of work to make him just fine. Um, and CU relied on some great contributions, which we'll talk about in a second, um, from some players that don't normally give those to win. And I, that yeah. just proves this team is balanced. So yeah. Also, two, two other things. Utah just beat Stanford by 14 last night, which is crazy. At, at also, home, I will say. At home. Also, how do you let Timmy Allen score 22 points on you if you're Stanford? That guy, like, just give him space to shoot. Like, well, he, he's, well, he scored like 17 against CU, right? You say that, but he always finds a way to get his buckets. 19 against CU. Yeah, I know. I, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand why he scores so much. Because just, he's really good at driving. I mean, he has the perfect... <laughs> He's like uh, – I'm trying to think of a good NBA comp, but he has a perfect well, there's, body there's no for NBA driving. Because his type of player – you, Have you seen his jump shot? It's disgusting. I gagged when I saw it. I don't even really know if I've noticed it until now, but it was just, like, horrible. Like, he shoots it underneath his chin. Yeah, and he also keeps the ball so far in front the whole time. Oh, my God. Um. I don't know. Just but give him like five feet of space. He, but he always, I mean, that's the, that's I know, I basketball know. is so much more fun to me. It's like, it's because there's weird, wacky players yeah. where it makes sense. Bonzi Colson can thrive. Timmy Allen can thrive. Oh, I love Bonzi. Um, anyways, for reference, people say that Utah might not be that good this year. For reference, CU started this year ranked in Kempom 62nd overall. Utah is ranked right now 63rd overall. So, um, they're good. They they will beat some teams, like CU. They had a really hard game start to the conference schedules at UCLA, at USC, home in Oregon, home at Colorado, and now that that's opening up, they're going to start beating some teams. That's like the hardest thing. That's literally the four best teams in the conference. Well, it depends how you feel about Arizona, but right. That's, damn. But, yeah. Um, so the Mountain teams had it tough this year, and they're both going to start racking up W's. Hopefully. Yeah. Also, uh, what was I going to say? Well, 
know. Well, they, they're that. gonna they're gonna get a lot of upsets. Like they did just beat Stanford. Like Stanford's good. We're gonna talk about them later on the pod. But like that's a really good win that they yeah. just got. Yeah, double digit win over a good team. So Utah's good. That was a great win for CU, even if it was ugly as sin. So let's talk about an even better win for CU. <laughs> yeah. So the Cal first half, I believe you tweeted something like, this game is going to make me question why I watch college basketball. Which it did for the first 10 minutes. That's when I said <laughs> that. When it was like 7-6 with, I think, eight minutes in the first half or something disgusting like that. Yeah, yeah. So Cal, they jumped out to an 18-11 lead. And it was because Mikhail Coleman got hot. And he was talking a lot of shit to the bench. God bless mm-hmm. him. He didn't score another point for like, I think, 20 minutes. Yep. <laughs> When are people going to learn, so don't talk shit to McKinley Wright. All these yeah. guards do it, and he will come back and kill you. Yeah. And so, CU trailing by seven against a team that they should have won by 20, or as we see, 29 points. Um, they looked a little bit stagnant on offense, and then they put in Jabari Walker. And Jabari Walker had 17 points in the first half, 23 in the game, I believe. And he just completely energized the team. Uh, the offense had a more pep to its step. And then that kind of translated on both ends. And from the 10 minute mark in the first half on through the rest of the game, CU was just going balls to the wall on both ends of the court. And like, like there McKinley Wright was the leader of that. Of course, he, he set the record, the all time assist record. He was just absolutely dominating on the defensive side. Like he was like flying everywhere. Um, deflecting passes, getting in people's faces, and starting fast breaks. That was a really fun game for him. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm relying on you here just because I, yeah. I had to stop watching, I think, near the end of the first half. So I only saw oh. the bad parts. I missed most of the run. Um, yeah. Well, Deshaun, I, Deshaun Schwartz had his second great game in a row. <laughs> uh, Maddox Daniels scored like 12 points on four shots, which is crazy. Him being way better at defense and and actually shooting as he has <laughs> promised to is a welcome huge, surprise. Yeah, huge development. I was not expecting that. Yeah, um, I was a little bit worried. I thought that CU. I didn't think they had any interior scoring the past few games without Dallas Walton, um, but Jabari Walker's been like so solid off the bench. He is so promising. And it helps that he's making over half his threes right now because teams are still not defending him from beyond the arc. Oh, can I actually tell you the three-point percentages on this team? Um, yeah. Jabari Walker, 52% from three. On decent amount of attempts, right? 1.6 a game. Okay. Yeah. Da- yeah. Dallas Walton at 50%. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun... Deshaun Schwartz is at 44% on four oh, attempts yeah. per game. Jariah Horan, 43% on four attempts a game. Maddox Daniels, 40% from four attempts a game. Beautiful. McKinley Wright is 36% on three attempts. That's a step and up, then, though. And then, yeah, and then Eli Parquet and Keyshawn Bartholomew aren't very good shooters. But that's it. Or, like, uh, that's crazy. Batty. Batty's at two for 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, Batty doesn't really take those threes. I didn't even see him. He was at 17%. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we can talk about, we can blow this up into a macro level discussion past the Cal game um, if you'd like, but basically I want to, I still want to zero in on, I watched some of the the highlights from from the second half and 
I guess what you said and what I've what, from what I've seen, it's just when CU has balanced scoring like that, the, the nice thing about this team is I think, like you said, I believe you tweeted this on the Ralphie Report account. Like there are seven or eight dudes in this rotation that can all take over stretches, like five minute stretches, six minute stretches of a game and, mm-hmm. and, and score CU out of a bad slump or even not out of a bad slump, just like extend CU's lead. And having such a ridiculous stable of people that can do that is such a luxury in college basketball. And it's, it's something that we, I don't know if we've seen at CU at all. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this offense is so balanced. I, hmm, I kind of want to go back to 2012, but well, I don't the, think they had that many guys. Well, the 2011 team is, is by far Tad's best offense, but it wasn't okay, yeah. this, right? It was because Alec Burks could do that by himself. And Corey, Corey Higgins, Higgins could, could do, do that, that by himself. Ralford had his then, day. Austin Dufault had his days. And Knudsen had his days. Yeah. But Roberson that, was nothing, right? No, Roberson was nothing. Shannon Sharp was nothing. Tomlinson was nothing on offense. Yeah. Um, but so that's five guys. We have, I think, seven on this team who can all get hot and carry. Yeah. And that's California, nice. I think they all got hot. <laughs> it's not going to happen against California. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Every single player except probably Evan Batty. He, I mean, he just had a regular ho-hum game, but everybody else was just like well, doing great. As a lot of people mentioned, uh, as I saw, at least on Twitter, that Cal's guy, Andre Kelly, is basically just like Evan Batty's twin, right? They're both about 6'8". They're both about 270. Um, and Kelly just got way more touches, so he got more points. And he had definitely had way better. He had touch more so than Batty that game. But it's hard for Batty to score when there's a dude who looks exactly like Evan Batty that you can't really bully around. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny. Yeah, and it's oh my I mean, God, yeah. Cal was missing, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. They were mentioning my missing my favorite player, not a CU player in the Pac-12, Matt Bradley. Matt Bradley. I love oh, he's Matt so Bradley, good. and he's their best player. Um, just a lefty, like swaggering, huge guard. Um, Six four two twenty, just chuck shots. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love him, and he, they didn't have that. Which they're, when they get Bradley back, they're gonna upset some people. So, um, similar to Utah, this is a, this is a win that's gonna look better as the season moves on. Yeah. Um, now so, I want to talk macro level. Macro level. So we already talked about that CU the way they play defense and the way they rebound. They're always gonna have this floor, mm-hmm. but their ceiling is that. They have a lot of guys who can get hot. And if those guys get hot and they're playing solid defense, any game can turn into a blowout mm-hmm. like quickly. Like remember last year against Oregon where we like got out to like a 20 point lead in the first right. half and just never let up. Yeah. Like that type of, that type of game. Um, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, yeah. So here's, here's where I'm at with this, with this team. I think my two things I've loved to see in the past, like four games, number one, Deshaun Schwartz getting more aggressive on the, on the dribble. I think, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that's what I've loved to see. Like this is what's happened and I'm loving seeing it. Right. Deshaun Schwartz is such a versatile offensive weapon. I mean, 18 of 41 from three for 44% is huge. He, I mean, that's his main thing is he's always a silky smooth stroke. But I always think he is a second or third best ball handler on this team. And I'd love to see that. Just little things. I don't know if you've noticed that too. But on the boards, he's a he's really good rebounder, I think, for mm-hmm. a wing player. 
And I, I've noticed that he doesn't immediately look for an outlet anymore. He takes it out the floor. And that's like a little, to me, a little confidence thing that shows like he is comfortable with the ball in his hand, initiating offense. And I really want to see more from that because I think he's one of CU's most efficient op- options when it's just Deshaun Swartz. So I'd love to see him take it to the rack. He has these weird left-handed off-rhythm finishes that almost no, like it's really hard to guard that, especially in college. And you've seen uh-huh. that so many times where he'll, he'll just delay like half a second and then just throw up a little left-handed, one-handed like layup or floater. And, it'll just, and he has a nice touch. It goes in. And it's just hard to defend that. Um, I, I want to see a lot more from that. And I'm glad that he's, as a senior, getting way more aggressive as the season goes on. I want to see him being the second option on offense because I think he has the ability to do that sustainably. However, the thing that gives me pause is if Jafari Walker can get out of foul trouble, that dude is one of the best <laughs> offensive players in the Pac-12. It is insane what he's doing right now. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners what exactly he's doing? Yeah, well, I mean, so people keep saying, how did he not get more minutes early on? And I think, number one, he did get minutes early on. But number two, he was just fouling everyone a shit ton. Like, before <laughs> the Utah game, he had four fouls in eight minutes against uh, Oregon, right? So it's like – yeah. The dude is going, he's a freshman. That's what happens when you're a freshman big. You're going to foul people. It's just fine. You're going to live with that. And I think Tad has said it as such too. But when he gets, stays out of foul trouble, I think he had two fouls against California. Yep. Three against Utah. He was I really mean, good against Utah too. He had 15 and 10. Right. He was also huge in that game. Cause it's just like, there's something about <laughs> either people aren't uh, anticipating his energy level or they don't like, it's just so much further above everyone else on the court when he steps on it he just gets every loose ball he sprints down the court every time and i love his his aggression from the to the wing to take it to the rack is insane and it's working out so you know i don't know if it's him playing against second units and these second units aren't available like aren't ready for this um but man, like, <laughs> I don't know if CU's had a, a a player like that since maybe XJ, especially early XJ. Um, but XJ was never this, I don't know, uh, like, but Jabari Walker is also a little more team focused. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to watch. I'm pulling up XJ stats. I want to see what his sixth man ability was. Yeah, the 20 wasn't this. His, well, his freshman year is 2013. Yep, I'm he looking. Was fun that year. So he was 44% from three, 25 or 57. Yeah. He was 54% from two. Uh, his offensive rating was lower at 102. He's a little less efficient. Um, but I should pull up some rebounded uh, the off. offensive ratings. Okay. Do you want to guess who has the, the three highest offensive ratings on CU besides? On this team? Yeah, not counting walk ons. Okay. It's got to be McKinley. Nope. Number one, Dallas Walton. That makes sense. 147 offensive rating. Also, someone who I decided to mute on Twitter keeps <laughs> saying that Dallas Walton isn't good at basketball. And I just wanted to say that this dude has a 68% field goal percentage with, while taking a bunch of threes. So he, he's pretty good offensively. <clears throat> All right. Second is McKinley Wright. And then third is Jabari Walker. Yeah. I, that make that tracks for me. I mean, he's got. I mean, what? Yeah. So, what did you see in the Cal game? Because I missed a lot of his explosion. Uh, per forty minutes, he's at twenty four points a game. <laughs> <Holy shit>. uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, in the Cal game, so he started out just making jumpers. Like he made three threes on three attempts. 
Um, and then he really likes to crash the paint. Like he's always going to cut into the, from like the dunker spot into like a layup or something. And I don't really think he takes any shots besides like layups and dunks and three pointers. Like he's not, he, I don't think he's done anything other than that. Um, and he f- draws so many fouls. And I think that one yeah. is because he outworks people and he's just faster than they're expecting. And so where he just gets somewhere and they just don't expect it and they just hack him on yeah. accident. I mean, we saw that a few times at on the Utah game where he would just be the first to a ball that maybe rebounded weird and got on the ground. And like, he would just <laughs> literally, and this is going to sound dumb, but like bend over faster than the other teams and just get to it, like, and go up immediately. Um, his activity level is just off the charts. And the other thing, like you mentioned, I love that how simple he's making the game on offense right now. Mm-hmm. If, if he's open, he's going to shoot the ball. If he's near yeah. the basket, he's going to get a layup. And that's just how, I mean, it's just like, th- yes, that's exactly what I want from a big man. He has a very happy trigger finger, which is perfect. Great. We don't need you to do anything other than finish possessions right now. Yeah. Uh, it's in. Uh, and it's not like of, he's taking, he's not taking bad shots. No. And he, like his stroke is really, really smooth. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but his his length and activity level and athleticism next to Evan Batty next year is going to be so fun for me to watch. Mm-hmm. Power forward, Jabari Walker, Evan Batty center. And the, I think the games complement each other so well. Evan Batty, very willing passer. He's going to get doubled off the post at times. You know who's really going to feed off of that? Jabari. An elite garbage man like Jabari Walker because he can catch everything, super lanky, just chuck it near him, he's going to score. See, this is what I always wanted Tory Miller to become like it's, an energy oh, big. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's like the the juice stats Tory Miller. And I just wanted him to be like an intimidator who would just dunk on people, grab every rebound. But like Jabari also shoots threes. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I see Jabari Walker, I'm, I'm looking, I see a little more like if Amari Sonomire was born 10 years later. I. If- want to chill out on the Amari Stoudemire comparisons. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm saying is Amari Stoudemire knew that he was elite as a quickness scoring big. So if mm-hmm. he got it at the, at the free throw line, it was a pump fake rip to dribble. And then he's going to destroy the rim. And I think that Jabari Walker's at a pump fake rip to dribble, get a layup or a foul, mm-hmm. which I, I really like that. I think it's just the aggression that they both play on offense with. It's so fun. Yeah. I, I, I love his aggression. Um, should we talk about McKinley Wright a little bit? Because he did just set a career record. I was about that to has say, yeah. Stood for 37 years. Um, he also, a lot of people have been saying, oh, of course he's going to break the record. He plays more games. But he actually broke the record having played his like 112th career game, which is the exact same as Jay Humphreys, uh, which Pat Rooney pointed out. Yeah. Also, 12 assists last night. Yeah, when he broke the record, he made sure that no one else is going to break that record. Yeah, uh, he had seven assists and had taken one shot in the first half. He was yeah. just moving the ball. He didn't, everybody was hot. And so he was like, oh, I don't got to do anything. Here, guys. <laughs> he's so fun. And he has, obviously, he's never been better than he has been now. If you look at his, like, per game stats, he's about average. Like, he's always been like 14 15 points five assists five rebounds 
but his shooting percentages are way up. He has not missed the floater yet, I don't think, this season. <laughs> uh, I heard he had one blocked yesterday. Oh, I don't remember. Okay, well, never. But, um, like, his advanced stat, like, his just regular stats, his, like, shooting stats, his drawn fouls ratings, his offensive rating, defense rating, everything has never been better. He's not turning the ball over that much. I mean, he has more so the past couple of games. But, yeah, he's just been insanely good. His uh, – pretty sure he's leading the Pac-12 in, like, box plus minus, which basically boils down how effective a player is, uh, like, on his team winning. Let me check. Yeah, it's higher than Oscar De Silva's, and I can't imagine who else would be up there. Remy Martin, of course. I'm going to look at Remy Martin's stats just for the pettiness. <laughs> no. Oh, he's actually not doing too bad. Uh, I'm seeing for, for what is this? Effective field goal percent. I don't care about that. I mean, that's a good stat, but. Kind of. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so I, let's go overall, right? Here's, here's my mm-hmm. overall point. He's been the same player for four years in terms of like what he does. He, he's not going to be Remy Martin to speak his name again and force the game his way. He's not going to be Marcus Howard and Chuck shots until he starts scoring teams out of the game more to me. What's more valuable is he gives consistent effort on defense a hundred percent of the time. And he mm-hmm. allows the game flow to dictate how he kills the other team. And I think, I mean, that's just, he's so smart about that all the time. And what people aren't, I mean, people aren't going to mention this because obviously they shouldn't, but the other crazy thing is I, his rebounding has kept pace with his record-breaking assist numbers as a 5'11", six-foot guard. And that's insane to me. And that, I mean, it just proves he's a team-first player. He is crashing boards all the time. I... <sighs> I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, it's a shame that all of CU's best players ever are pretty much also point guards. Um, <laughs> Cause it makes it harder to say he's the best point guard ever, or he's the best player ever. Um, yeah. You can't be the best point guard ever at Chauncey Billups school. Right. And it's like, you have Chauncey Bell, Spencer Dinwiddie, McKinley, Wright, Jay Humphreys all in the same breath. And I think obviously he just passed Jay Humphreys. Um but I don't know if a player has been as consistently impactful as McKinley Wright for four years because we only got two of Chauncey, two and a half for Dinwiddie. Uh, man, it, it just, you, what a motor. Like, what a dude to have. On I team. think the only player really comparable would be, like, Josh Scott for the four years if you want to expand to big men. Right, but the, the McKinley Wright naturally just affects the game more because he has a, the ball in yeah. his hand every, every possession. Yeah. So, man, I mean, if, te- we're if you so ask- spoiled. Right. If you asked Tad to pick a guard from his 10 years, I think he would pick McKinley, which is which is in itself a huge compliment. Right? Yeah. I had to imagine he over Dinwiddie, over Derek White. If he said you pick a guard for four years, who do you pick? He probably picks McKinley. Mm-hmm. I think so too. What a I mean, yeah, you're gonna look back at his four years and he's hopefully, like you said, I don't know if he deserves player of the year this year for just this year's stats, but as a career award and as a defensive award, he's he, hopefully he gets it. If, if CU keeps getting hot, he deserves it. Yeah, I mean, they are going to be playing the other main contender uh, on Saturday. Are you worried about Stanford at all? Um, not particularly. So, 
I'm sure I, I should be, and I will as the game gets closer, which I guess it's Friday, so how close could it get? But um, Zaire Williams is a problem and is a guy who's athletic enough to give CU fits. But they also, if you can shut down Oscar Da Silva and putting the ball in just Zaire's hands, you probably have a pretty good shot to win. Utah did a good job against the Silva um, this week. And I think, I don't know, CU as a team has a lot. What weakness do you exploit right now? If you're looking at CU, if you're Stanford, what do you do? I'm trying to, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> what is their um, weakness? CU? Yeah. I think like, they have a pretty significant weakness on interior defense. Right, but Walton is supposed to come back. on. on yeah, but I don't know. We could talk about Walton if you want, but I don't really think of him as a great interior defender. Not, once again, not on his own. If you, in a vacuum, Dallas Walton as your main defender is not going to mm-hmm. be an intimidator, but put him next to a guy like Evan Batty, um, who takes up space but doesn't have that, you know, the verticality. And I think those two put together put up a pretty nice united front. I think Batty takes to Silva, right? And Walden takes mm-hmm. overflow and help D. I have to. Yeah, I just think like the Silva is just. He's so polished and he's so just like, he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows yeah. exactly what shots he wants. And I just really, I just have such a high opinion of him just a general as a player that he scares me because I feel like he could just get a bunch, like Stanford could slow the game down and he could just get a ton of buckets. Yeah. Um, so I I'm will also, say this is the, ahead. this is the rematch of last year's Stanford game at home, which was, the scariest thing I've ever seen on a basketball court and also the coolest thing I've ever seen on a basketball court. Yeah. To where Evan Batty rolled up and like rolled over Oscar Da Silva and Da Silva was like unconscious bleeding from his head. Evan Batty lost his mind as I would as well um, yeah. because he thought he killed he, a guy. Like he thought he killed a man on the court. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and if you remember, I'll never forget. I'll bring it up again. Evan Batty taking free throws after that, and he was crying as he as he like hit the free throws. He was crying as he hit a three later that game, as CU pulled mm-hmm. ahead, just because he was like everyone was just so, it was so much emotion in there. And both teams, I mean, if you remember, they gathered at half court. They said a prayer for everyone. I don't know. I've never. It was a lot of sportsmanship. I think both Tad mm-hmm. Boyle likes Jared Haas, and these teams like each other generally. I like this team, the Stanford team. But I'm not. I, I'm not as scared as they are as I was last year. Because yeah. last year they I was, were scared of your team. <laughs> I was really rooting for Tyrell Terry to come back to Stanford this year because they would have been so good with him back. Um, but uh, I'm so I was looking. I did the deep dive, analytical deep dive, and Stanford really wants other teams to just shoot themselves out of a game. They want to lock down the paint and just let other teams just take as many threes as their little hearts desire. And that works against teams that can't really shoot. But if CU, and we talked about it, their sixth worst or their sixth best three-point shooter is at 36%. Everybody else is in the 40s. That's going to be really dangerous to play against CU because if CU has like even an average shooting night, this should be a win just because of how many threes are going to go in. Oregon lost because they missed everything. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Oregon beat Stanford because they just rained threes. No, no, no. Oregon won by uh, 17. 
Who am I? Oh, I'm thinking of Arizona. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, Arizona lost, even though they got hot from three. Yeah. But Oregon, I think they shot 33 two-pointers and 33 three-pointers. So that's kind of the shot distribution Stanford likes their opponents to take. Oregon just made a shit ton of those. Yeah, I mean, you say likes to take. I think what that is is that they are good at interior defense. De Silva mm-hmm. is obviously as solid as ever. Spencer Jones is a pretty interesting piece. They move around on D quite a bit. Jaden mm-hmm. Dolaire is is uh, another guy that just added that was pretty interesting. Um, they have they have some size. The thing is, I don't I don't know. CU is always going to be interior first, exterior second. And I think CU is still going to try to pound the paint. Um, and they've been largely successful at that this year. I think, though, that if a team is physical enough inside, CU gets a little hesitant to attack and they settle for jumpers. They were earlier this year. I, I think we are reaching the crest of CU confidence right now. Okay. Well, I, 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 I mean, pretty, I, hope I think it, we're pretty confident. I want that to last. Um, I know, like, Tad isn't going to be underrating Stanford. Um, no, no. I also, I mean, if we could talk about this game, if CU wins this game, they have at least four more straight that they absolutely should win by like double digits. Yeah. So it gets really fun. It gets really, the schedule gets nice and easy right after this game. You say that, you know, you know that CU is going to lose to one of Washington and Wazoo. It's just going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. But if you beat Stanford and you have four wins in a row and four easy wins coming up, it's okay to go seven and one in a stretch yeah. rather than eight. No, I think it's okay. So yeah, let's, let's to bring it back a little bit to Stanford. Like you said, they also on offense, Stanford takes almost no threes and can almost make no threes. They don't have a lot of great shooters. <laughs> Zaire Williams likes to shoot them out of game sometimes too. Yeah. So they're at three point percentage or as a team is at 31%. And CU's is at 37%. Now, I will say, Stanford, like you said, they're saving grace as they're allowing 31% on three as well. So um, they also allow make teams shoot themselves out of games. This is really going to be, I think, an interior matchup. So going further into that, Stanford shoots 52% from two, which is pretty good. It's in the top 100 of the, of the country. But this is where Tab Oil comes back to to help CU. Do you know what Savoyle or CU's two-point percentage is? Oh, I'm looking at it. It's 50%. No, sorry, on defense, what they allow. 47. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty good. So um, that's basically going to be where the, uh, where the where I think the battle is going to be. If, if Stanford, if CU can force Stanford into tough, late shot clock shots, which CU is one of the best in the country at doing is late, those late shot clock shots. Currently, let's see, they are 341st in time allowed, which is uh, sixth, fifth longest in the country, opponents taking shots. Right, and I believe uh, Stanford is a pretty um, methodical on offense, right? They, they also are okay with a long clock. Um, no, they take about 16 seconds to, to take a shot. Okay. Like that's their average possession. Like the 16 seconds CU is uh, allowing 19 seconds, which is a pretty big difference. Yeah. Considering the numbers. 
Well, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's a fun matchup, and I think both teams are actually kind of similar in how they want the game to look. Yeah. Um, and I, this would be a game where I same we've watched this battle for four years, and I love this battle. You might know Dejon Davis is Stanford's point guard, mm-hmm. um, and he's going up against McKinley Wright. They're both senior guards that have started for four years, so they know each other pretty well at this point. And CU's got – or McKinley's gotten the best of, of Dejon overall. I'm yeah, and I want to look see, up Dejon's stats. I think Zaire's at 6'8", but I think they might put Parquet on him just because of his nutso length. And Parquet will, I think – Parquet should be on him. Doing pretty well. He'll, he'll do pretty well there. Um, I don't let's know. See. This is fun. Now I'm way more excited for this match. It's going to be a nice – it might be a close game. Let's see. Keep talking. I'm solid. So, uh, like the, like we said, game is at Sunday, Saturday at one on the Pac-12 Network, which is unfortunate. This is Pac-12 Network because it's the top fifty matchup. And uh, Ken Palm predicts a seven point win for CU at a seventy two percent win expectancy. We'll see if that holds up. Um, but if 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 CU, like you said, can clear this hurdle, they have a nice easy runway that hopefully they just don't mess up on. Um, and it's possible possible that they end this stretch. 15 and three um, mm-hmm. coming into the home stretch, which is whew, that, that opens you up for quite a bit of stuff. Like that opens you, that gets you into like some nice two or three seat territory. If you can keep peaking, we'll see the inevitable yeah, collapse. So sure. I'm sure happened, but so yeah. So Stanford at home, Washington and Washington state on the road. Washington's probably the worst team in the conference. Washington state is frisky, but not great. And then Washington State at home, Utah at home, and then Arizona State and Arizona at home. That's their next uh, seven games. Mm-hmm. That could be – I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's looking that's looking nice. Yep. Because CU is probably going to be ranked if they beat Stanford. Um, and then they can just start climbing if, if they keep on winning. Yeah, so number one, I'm sure, and I don't think they're overlooking them at all, but just beat Stanford on Saturday, and you're looking, you are now. They're not overlooking Stanford with Washington no. on deck. No. So, I I don't know. I'm excited for this matchup. It, it should, it's two teams that look pretty similar, honestly. Um, I think CU just has more balance, and that's going to that's gonna put them ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think Stanford only has like two, three guys they can really depend on. Yeah, and Oscar da Silva has a great career also. Um, and I hope I'm sure there's gonna be something in between these two teams post game or pre game or something to I hope. Yeah. I, I really want these two to be the best two because I love both these programs right now. Yeah. Um I'm not gonna watch the game because I'll be working. I'm actually really happy about that. <laughs> I I, I think wreck? I would be nervous. So I'm gonna try not to check my my little stats because if I had seen on my phone that CU was losing at 10 at halftime to Utah, I would have been pissed. And I was <laughs> pissed during that game because CU missed like literally 10 layups in the yeah. first half. Actually 10 layups. Actually, but- they went three of 13 on layups. That's so fucking bad. Like even in high school, that's bad. <laughs> they turned it around. Uh, they turned it around. Yeah. So Sam, do you have an average or a prediction? CU wins by six. 76 okay. to 7. No, no, no. Hang on a second. Uh 68-62. See you wins. That's that sounds a little more in line with what I was thinking. Let's look at the lines real quick. Like we said, Saturday at one, Stanford plays Colorado. 
And the line for that game currently right now, I'm definitely not stalling, but the line for that game is... See you. I don't see a line. Thanks. So thanks for everything. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. Anyway, I think they're projected to win uh, around that, so that makes sense. Let me see if I can find a line. I don't see a line. Okay. Well, we're recording this Friday morning. (laughs) The line will come out. And uh, I don't know. Watch that game. Get excited for this team because they uh, McKinley Wright is worth it by himself. And the rest of the team, hey, they aren't bad either. Yeah. Um, All right, Jack, I'm done. I'm done. All right. right. Take care. See ya. Buzz! Buzz! Buzz!